Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. So let's start this morning with our uh, memory verse review. Uh, if anybody's got 1 Corinthians 13, 4. This is from last week's lesson on love chooses. So, oh, look at here. I said a Where? reminder of my Blackberry. Did you really? That's awesome. That is awesome. Huh? First, yeah, really. <laughs> Glad to know the company hadn't folded yet. That's good, right? So 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Miss Bree's got it today too, right? Yes, I was going to say, I want to hear it from him as well. So, so we'll start over here and work our way this way. Great. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Absolutely, very good. Thank you much. Next we have. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Amen to that, right? Thank you, sir. Miss Amy V. Love suffers long and is kind. Yes. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up. I am so glad it does not, right? Thank you very much. Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. All right. Let's open your Bibles up this morning to Matthew 21. We will start there in just a second. Matthew 21. So just as a reminder, this is a three-week series on famous love. These are lessons that I have been taught in my life uh, that have been impactful in some way. What'd you get? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, the Holman. So it's safe. Right in the middle of the road, you're good there, no, no weird stuff, so yeah, that'll help. Um, so last week was Love Chooses, uh, and today is Love Wins, and yes, I will address that book at the end of today's lesson, so we will, we will get to that. So if you're wondering, uh, and there's been some, some minor tweaks to the lesson to make sure that we don't lean a, a wrong direction as we go through, so... Uh, but this is a lesson that was taught by uh, Rob Bell several years ago. Um, if you know the name, that's great. If you don't know the name, he's that NUMA DVD guy. Uh, you may have seen some of those. Uh, and I've, I've taught this before, uh, and it's one of my favorite lessons. Uh, and it, like a lot of different things in theology, if you go too far with a theological concept and put it in the wrong environment it will not work like it is supposed to. So we'll talk about that when we kind of get toward the end of the lesson today. So first question on your handout is, have you ever seen anybody wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry? Yes, okay. It's an easy question to start today. Have you ever seen somebody wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry that you were pretty sure did not really identify tightly with that said cross? Yes, okay. All right, so we have seen this concept, right? So we're going to talk about the cross today. We're going to talk about Jesus' reaction to things, uh, situations that he was in uh, before and after, uh, and even while he was on the cross. And we're going to look at you know, what, what is God communicating to us through that environment, through that experience. So let's start in uh, Matthew 21. I think I've got all the verses listed on your handout. So who's got Matthew 21, 23? We'll be in that, in that area for quite a while. So he's got 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Which is always a wonderful thing to do while someone is preaching the Bible, right? <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt you and say, well, whose authority do you have to do this? So, so let's put this in modern day vernacular, right? Somebody come, in 10 minutes, somebody comes busting through those glass doors right over there and says, Jim, what are you doing? You don't have authority to do this. What, what, what's this all about? No, 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 no. What's this all about? 
And not just somebody, but a group of people, a group of religious leaders come in and say that. How's that make your Sunday go? Yeah, attendance went up, right? Yeah, we're counting them. Julie, get those names in the book, right? We're counting those. Um, you know, so they're questioning his motives, his authority here. Flip over to Matthew 26. Um, let's look at Matthew 26, 14, 15, and 16. <clears throat> so those are the folks that don't like him, right? So in Matthew 26, we'll look at a couple folks that have been hanging out with him for a little while. Uh, who's got 14, 15, and 16? Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So this is wonderful, right? So his enemies are publicly disrupting his teaching, and his followers are looking for ways to betray him. So this is, this is great. Uh, flip over to Matthew 26, 36 through 45. Somebody give me a summary of what's going on in 36 through 45. Yep, is there a plan B, right? Yeah. Yep, nope, no plan B. Even God said so, right? Yeah. So uh, there's a joke in that and nobody got it, but that's all right. So what happens later on in that passage? Uh, through 45. He's asking a group to do something and they're, oh, yeah. they're really struggling with it, right? And some of us struggle with it this morning. My hand is up. Staying awake. Yes, just getting up. and Okay, we are going to start this day. Yes, we are. It'll be okay. Feeling a little isolated, and, and who can't stay awake? His inner His inner Not even just the 12, right? I mean, these are the ones that we've, okay, I've, I've singled you guys out even more specifically over several years to do this, and they cannot stay awake. Uh, look at verses 67 and 68 in that chapter. What happens here? Yeah, so things are not getting better. Would you agree? They are, they are devolving rather quickly. All right, so let's keep going. 69. 69 through 74. Just keep going, Miss Amy. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl... He sat where? Outside, in the courtyard. Outside, okay. All right, keep going. And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it. Before them saying all, I do not know what you are saying. Then he had gone out to the gateway. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Right. So, so his, one of his twelve tries to betray him. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. His closest, his absolute closest says, I don't know the man. Right? I mean, this is just, this is getting worse and worse. Turn the page, Matthew 27, uh, 27 through 31. Matthew 27, 27 through 31. Go for it. Scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted 
a crown of thorns, they uh, put it on his head, and a reed in his hand, in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews. Then they spat on him, and they took a reed and struck him in the head. And, they, uh, and when they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his own clothes back on him, and then led him away to be crucified. You may have had anybody spit in your face, like actually physically spit in your face. You ever had this happen? That's more popular than I thought. Well, okay. Um, it's not enjoyable, is it? I mean, it is. I had it happen to me one time. Um, I had a student that got very upset. Uh, and not in, in Sunday school. It was a different environment. Uh, that would be. It was part of that band that broke in, right? And, and challenged authority. Uh, and it, and it, it so stunned me. I just kind of stood there for a second because well, I, didn't, I, didn't, I literally didn't see that coming. And wow. You know, this is just shocking. And so he's been uh, betrayed, deserted, denied, spit on, struck in the face, mocked, stripped naked, insulted, and beaten, lied about, falsely accused, convicted, condemned. Uh, later on in Matthew 27, he's actually crucified. He's humiliated, scorned, pierced, bruised, rejected, hated, stared at, left in naked, public to die, and then killed. So what do we do with that? Right? How do we respond to that? How do we respond before that? How do we respond during that? How do we respond after that? Jesus' response is in Luke 23, 34, which I still think to this day is utterly unbelievable. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Luke 23, 34. Who's got it? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father what? Yeah, that's a pretty powerful word, isn't it? Here's your first blank. Jesus' response is forgiveness. Really? I mean, that's incredible. So they continue to mock him after this. After he asked them, after he asked the Father publicly, he's on the cross, to forgive them. Uh, Luke 23, 39 through 43. What's that say? Yes, Shelby. When you get told that you are um, you're going to be somewhere with someone, that's called an invitation. And Jesus' response is forgiveness and invitation. So he, he, we have all of this negative, all of this. I mean, this is a really bad day. You could add up all of our bad days together, and this is about as bad of a day as it gets. And he get, we get more of his response in John chapter 19. I've always found it fascinating how the different gospel writers focused on different aspects of the crucifixion. Um, I think it, it, it one, uh, shows the, the breadth and complexity of that day and that event and how much was going on. But two, it shows uh, what each one of those authors had and cared about and the lens with which they saw the world. Uh, but John 19... 
25, 26, and 27. John was the disciple that Jesus loved, right? Okay. So he's on the cross. He's naked. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been spit on, and crowds are yelling at him. And uh, what's he thinking about here? What's the question that he asks here? He is dying on the cross, and his thoughts are about who is going to take care of my mom. Just unbelievable selflessness. His response is forgiveness, invitation, and caring. So the cross happens, he dies. What do his disciples do? Poof, right? They run. And not only do they run, they run back to the thing. Flip over to John chapter 21. They run back to the thing that he called them out of, right? It's not just, oh, I'm leaving Jesus. I'm going back to the way things were before he even showed up. That is what was familiar, right? What does John 21, 10, 11, 12, and 13 say? Tim, you got it? No, he's looking at Facebook, sorry. All right. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I don't. Okay. John 21, 10, 11, 12, 13. What kind of man is this? Right? Um, Zeke, we've been friends a while, right? We're, I hope we, we're going to be friends for a long time. That would, that would, I think, make me happy for a long time. Um, but if you betrayed me, like really betrayed to the point where I ended up in jail and was on trial for murder, and you left me out to dry, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to let go of that for a while. It's going to take more than a biscuit. <laughs> wow. All right. I have to, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. You haven't had one of my biscuits. This is getting good, isn't it? That's good. But, uh, but do you think that my response is going to be, hey, let me come cook you breakfast? Let me go to the place that you betrayed me at. Let me go to the place where you went back to the way things were before. And I'm going to go back into that place again after you, after you've betrayed me. It's absolutely amazing. And then keep going a couple more verses. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17 in John chapter 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He says to him, I've got a job for you. He says to him, I'm not done with you. He says to you, I've got more for your life. Your life is not going to be defined by the last couple of words in that verse that Amy read and the rooster crowed. That is not going to be what defines his life. What defines his life is going to be what he does after breakfast. It is absolutely beautiful. Jesus' response to Peter is restoration. So we have forgiveness, we have invitation, we have caring, and now we have restoration. Now, I don't want you to think that, that this is... Um, so what was last week's lesson? Let me back up to that. What was last week's lef- lesson? Love chooses, right? Love is a choice. We, we have an option here. Jesus had options. He had choices. He was wronged and he was betrayed and all of these things, uh, these people deserted him and he could have done a lot of different things. He actually has more options than we have, right? The, the, the breadth of choices that he had to call on were amazingly broad. And in every passage that we're given, he responds with love. In every one. It's unbelievable. And then, Hebrews 13, 5. I'll read this one for you. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Amazing. John 16.33. Somebody read this one for me. John 16.33. I have overcome the world. Anybody else have a different translation? I have overcome the world. I'll give you a paraphrase here, all right? Jesus is saying, I won. I won. See, nobody had ever lived the perfect life and not struck back at least once, not responded in something other than love at least once. But he was loving the whole way through. He did it. Which makes me think that the cross is some type of a transitional point where before it was about I'm going to snap back, I'm going to get evil, I'm going to get revenge. But now somebody has set the bar so high, somebody actually pulled it off, that there is a loving example of a way to do life that makes everything different. See, the cross is not just something we wear around our necks. The cross is not just something that gets us out of hell and into heaven. It is a completely different way to do life. Jesus overcomes death, so now things are different. See, we like to take the approach um, of quid pro quo. Who knows what quid pro quo is? Anybody know? Tit for tat, right? You did this, I'm going to do that. You did this, I'm going to do that. You slowed down in front of me in the fast lane. I'm going to ride your bumper. And when I pull up around you, here comes the double gun salute. Boom, just like that. (laughs) 
you may need to Google that, those of you that are, or, or no, don't Google that. That would probably not be appropriate with, no. You don't want that in your internet history. There you go. Um, there is a better way to do things now. Paul saw this in Romans 12, 21. He says, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's a question here in your notes. Will I respond to the world with or without love? Hint, it's a choice, right? Harkening back to last week's lesson, this is a choice. See, if I, if I view things the old way, if I view things the way that uh, the evil against evil, then I'm going to continue to get revenge. If I view things the way that, um, that I have to respond accordingly, then things escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. Think about this in our relationships. You can do this with your kids, you can do this with your spouse, you can do this with your friends, you can do this with your boss at work. This escalate, 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 escalate. We see nations do this, right? Well, we arranged our troops in a certain way. Okay, great. Well, then we have to arrange our troops in a certain way. Well, then we put ships and boats and guns over here. Well, then we put ships and boats and guns over here. And we had a satellite looking at you, so boom, right? All right, great. Well, and escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. It's the way the world works. If we choose the old way, but there is a better way. Colossians 2.15. I love this verse. Everybody flip there. Colossians 2.15. Who's got Colossians 2.15? Zeke, did you bring a Bible today? You got Colossians 2.15? Cool. He doesn't have Colossians 2.15. Okay, he does. All right, great. Whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out, time out. One of the functions of the cross in Roman society was to publicly shame the person on the cross. It was to say, Rome, one, person hanging on the cross, zero. And that's the final tally, right? This is, this is the public spectacle that Rome has won. So read the verse again. Because this verse, it sounds like the person writing this takes a different approach. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Who is hanging naked on this tree? And who does the shaming? You know why? Because if you kill somebody and he comes back to life, then who wins? It is beautiful. What do you do? That's your blank, by the way. What do you do with an enemy that you cannot kill? I'll tell you what you do with an enemy you do not kill. You lose to him. <laughs> right? Jesus cannot lose because Jesus overcame. He publicly made a spectacle of everybody else. It goes from a public defeat to a public victory. And that's what the authors of the New Testament thought here. So I'm going to read you a quote here. Let's put it this way. The powers that put Jesus on the cross, that mock him, divide up his clothing, spit on him, slap him, beat him on the head with a stick, pierced his sides, those powers at that moment appear like they're winning. But in the end, they lose because he just rises from the dead. The person who appears naked and bloody as if he is losing actually wins. If in this case, then it's the cross, here's your blank, 
The cross is God's way of saying, love wins. It's beautiful. There's a win. The cross is God's way of saying, listen, I know that they did this to you, but love wins. And it doesn't mean that we condone sin. Okay, So I don't want you to think that this means that we condone sin. It doesn't mean that we brush it aside or overlook it or don't deal with it. It means love wins. So 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. I told you that was our text for the whole series. So 1 Corinthians 13. And the aggravating thing about love wins, the aggra- it's aggravating sometimes. It really is. The aggravating thing about love wins is that this applies to that person that does, in fact, slow down in front of you in the fast lane. This applies to your kid tomorrow or this afternoon when you pick a restaurant and they don't want to go there. They experience that. Or, or you pick to go home and they want to go to, because there's just there's the no win, right? This applies uh, tomorrow when you go back to work and your cubicle partner, four, four cubes down, who is a high candidate for most annoying uh, employee ever, uh, decides to be, in fact, the most annoying employee ever. <laughs> Love wins, right? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 8, what's the little letter next to it? A. Easiest, maybe not easiest, probably third easiest memory verse in the whole Bible. I'm even cutting the verse down. This is next week's memory verse for you. The first three words. i got three words for you. What are those three words? Love never fails. Now, I'm going to put this in context, and we're going to start talking now about how you can go wrong with this philosophy. So, in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, these are things that God is giving to the church as evidence and witness of His power working in the church. This is not a gift to the world at large. Okay? This is not a gift to pagans. This is a gift to believers. Love never fails. This is in the context of gifts that he is giving out. So the, the rest of the verse talks about prophecies. It talks about, um, what's the other gift that's given there? Somebody help me. You guys look at the text. Sorry. What's that? Tongues and prophecies and other different things, right? These are going to cease. This is going to stop. This is going to stop. Love, it is never going to stop for the believer. Now, you might say, yeah, Jim, but you don't understand my spouse. Love still wins. But, but, but you, don't, you, really, you really don't understand that employee, right? I mean, really don't understand. Yeah, love still wins. You say, well, you don't understand my 16-year-old kid. You're probably right. But <laughs> love still wins every time. This is the way this works. It's absolutely beautiful concept. I love this, that love still wins. Now, I don't know about you, but I need reminders of this, um, I actually put it on the back of my truck. There's a bumper sticker on the back of my truck that says, Love Wins. And I don't necessarily need it on the back of my bumper. I need it on the back of the bumper of the car in front of me. (laughs) Right? So for today's lesson, I ordered 40 Love Wins bumper stickers. And I was going to give them out today. And they did not arrive on time. And even in that, Love Wins. (laughs) It is okay. Now, what they're going to be is they're going to be bookmarks in your gift for next week, okay? Because there's a gift for next week as well. So we'll get it out to you, so don't, don't, I don't want you to worry about that. But 
we need to tell each other love wins. Every once in a while, we just need to be confronted with, you know what? Love wins. And sometimes, Albert, you may just need to call me up or text me. Because if you called, I'd be like, what in the world's wrong? He's on the side of the road in a ditch. Text me. <laughs> text me, hey, love wins, right? We need to hear this message. Because you're going to get slapped, and you're going to get beaten, and you're going to get betrayed, and you're going to get left, and you're going to get hung out to dry, and love wins. It's the way that this works. It's an amazing concept, absolutely amazing concept. So um, I'm going to read you a quote, and then we'll talk about the book for a second. So the cross is God's way of saying to us, in all of our brokenness, in all of our tendencies to respond in all of these awful different ways, that Jesus went through everything and more and responded in love. It has been done. Somebody did it. They actually responded in love the whole way through. And Jesus did it, and God has sent the Spirit to live inside of you and me, and we can do it too. Now, that's a high bar. But we have God inside of us helping with this. And it's a choice that we can make to let love win. Now, several years ago, after preaching this sermon, Rob Bell turned this phrase into a book. Did anybody, I don't want to hear, did you read an article about the book? Did anybody actually read the book cover to cover? I'm looking. All right, my hand is up. I did read the book cover to cover. It is filled with really bad theology. Really bad theology. Here's what Rob Bell did with this concept. He took this concept and he said, this concept will continue forever for all people. God's love, I'm paraphrasing, God's love will chase everyone down and eventually convert everyone so that even in hell or in separation from God that those will eventually turn to Christ and become part of His. Now, did that make anybody's head hurt just a little bit? What doctrine does this tend to fly in the face of? Yeah, quite a few, right? Uh, the whole doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of how God relates to people at different times. I mean, this is just, there's a lot of really, really awful theology associated with it, which is why I talked about this love never fails is given to whom? It's given to the church. It's given to the church. It's not given to all mankind for all kind, for all time, even after the judgment. It does, it does not, no. God's love for us will never fail. It is absolutely awesome. It is encouraging. It is so motivating, and it is also scary at the same time because every theology has two sides. It's got the side that applies to you and the side that doesn't apply to you. And the side that doesn't apply to us for love never fails is that if God loves us forever and is with us in fellowship with us forever, then there is an, a naturally an exclusion of those that it is not in that relationship with forever. This concept actually reinforces the doctrines that Rob Bell's book puts down, which is the great irony of the whole thing, is that he's actually really just turned this on its head. So about the book, don't go buy it. If you really... That was an amen. I'll take that sound as an amen. <laughs> if you really want to read it, I'll loan you my copy. It'll just, it'll just aggravate you. You'll get about 15 pages in and you just... 
I started taking notes in my copy of all the things that were wrong. I just, I got tired of writing. It's just bad. It's just really bad. But that doesn't mean the original message of love wins is invalid. It just means don't go get it tattooed anywhere because somebody may change the message. Uh, my wife asked me a couple years ago, is there anything that you'd ever uh, want to get a tattoo of? And this is before the Love Wins came out, the book came out. I said, actually, you know, the, I, I would like to get that phrase, uh, Love Wins, in Greek. I would be cool with a tattoo of that. And uh, she's like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. I was like, yeah, because that's just a great message. And I kid you not, not six months later, the book comes out. And he totally turns the thing on its head and wrecks it. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm not taking that bumper sticker off my truck because love wins. And I'm running with it, and that's okay. And I stop too quickly sometimes, and the guy behind me needs to know that love wins. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so next week for our memory verse, let's all just take a second and practice. When I was in school, this is one of the – I went to a Christian school up until seventh grade, and uh, we had a, uh, a prize – Every month, there was a chapter of the Bible that we were required to memorize. You had a whole month to do it, so I mean, you give a month, that's a pretty good while. We're kids, you know, kids can learn anything pretty quick. And the first person to memorize it, uh, word for word, um, I'll let you guess what translation. Uh, first person to memorize it, word for word, got a silver dollar. A silver dollar, which was, I mean, silver dollar is pretty awesome, right? And there was a girl that sat next to me in the sixth grade, and she was, uh, we would call her now, uh, she had a photographic memory. And before, so we were given the chapter the, uh, at chapel, the, that's how we started every single day at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, before lunch, she would put her little flag up and raise her hand, and she would say that chapter word perfect. I was like, man, why can't we have a short chapter? So this is for everybody that's always ever wanted a short chapter. So let's practice. Love never fails. That's it. That's it. Simple lesson today. Profoundly impactful concept, though, because this changes everything. All right? Cool. Thank you for coming to Sunday school today. On your tables is a piece of paper. Please write your prayer request down on that piece of paper. Pray as a group, and you are dismissed.